God, that um, that you will speak through me as we uh, go through your word through this lesson in Second uh, Kings and Second Chronicles, Lord God. Uh, I pray that you will be with Pastor Dane as he shares your word, uh, that you will move through him, that uh, we will both step aside and let your Holy Spirit do the work and keep our selfish uh, thoughts out of the picture, Lord, that um, only you will be speaking uh, and, and that we will just follow. Um, I pray that you will do the same thing for our church as we continue to move forward, Lord, that we will just follow you uh, and not make our own decisions, but uh, lean on on yours. Um, pray this in your holy son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> All right, Second Kings. Uh, we're going to be touching on, uh, which several of you have already read through and have been in, in Sunday school already know, uh, we're going to be touching on Nebuchadnezzar a little bit, talking about uh, his movement in Israel and what's happening with him. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is one of my wife's favorite characters in the Bible. She absolutely adores Nebuchadnezzar. She's convinced she will have a, a mansion next to his in heaven. <laughs> she she really likes Nebuchadnezzar, um, mainly because he he proclaims God at the end of his time and and just that. that transparency that he has at the end of his time but we're not going to see that in this particular lesson we're going to see uh, how God used him uh, really as a, a tool of punishment um, and, and trying to bring or should say bringing about uh, Israel uh, and, and forcing them really to realize that they have abandoned their God um, and we, we get a, a lot of life lessons uh, through Israel. Uh, I've heard a lot of people say things like, why does Israel keep doing these things over and over and over again uh, in the Bible? And, and it's, it, you know, we can't really talk because uh, we would do the same thing more than likely. Um, and in fact, when we look at analyze our own lives uh, and we compare it to what God is, is trying to teach Israel in this, he's really trying to teach even the reader of, of his word um, how serious he takes these things. And we really need to evaluate ourselves um, and instead of uh, looking at judging how other people are responding to things. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, I'm going to ask others to read because we're going to trust that everyone who listens online, that they have their Bibles handy and that they'll read and they can always pause it. And, and read. Uh, so would somebody be willing to read Second Kings chapter 23, 36 through chapter 24, 7. <clears throat> it always surprises me how young uh, kings end up being in Israel and in the Bible. And, and when I look at how young some of them are, I'm like, oh, that seems like a bad idea. <laughs> but that's, that's how it is. Um, but it didn't, didn't really matter how young, how old, because they had some young ones that were righteous. They had some young ones that were really stupid and evil. And they had some older ones that, you know, that started off at later age that ended up being evil. And so it, it's not so much an age thing. It really is a hard thing on where they are with following God. And it really spills out. Mm -hmm. they're, they're influenced. They're influenced. Uh, and what it also comes down to is it's their choice as to how they are influenced. It's just like it's our choice how we are influenced. Uh, granted, the, the cards are against them, you know. They're, yeah, they're eight years old. Yeah. So, so. It's a dress up game to them at that point, better. 
Yeah, but we, we see here at the very start um, that he did evil in the sight of his Lord and in the sight of the Lord as his fathers did. This is passed down. I mean, it, it's it's inherited practically. This this evil that has been passed down, just as his fathers did. Um, so a, a question would be, uh, what what good things are passed down from from our parents, our our ancestors, um, that you can think of in your own life? What something good? Because obviously we can we can identify bad things that have been passed down. We identify things like alcoholism just flowing through families and people identify those things and they call those things out. But it's also important to identify the good things. Um, all started off with my family uh, raised me in church. My, my dad and mom emphasized the importance of reading the Bible, importance of making my faith my own, um, that I'm not adopting their faith. It's, it's supposed to be mine. I'm, I'm supposed to adopt it. I'm supposed to determine uh, that it's right. So it's my job to jump into scripture, to pray, to seek God, and to get answers. It's, I can't expect them to give me the answers and then be right. I have, to, I have to basically take what they give me, and I have to verify that it's true, which is different in today's society. Today's society, we would say as parents, this is what I'm telling you. It's fact. Believe it. This is how it is. Uh, and, and, and so it's, it's kind of a different concept to be like, you know, hey, this is this is yours. It's not my faith. This is your faith that you're in charge of, and and so. Oh yeah, everything on the internet's true, right? Even though you have contradicting points on the internet, <laughs> which one's true? They're both true, right? No. Uh, it, it, the idea of it being important to think for yourself. Um, but I think it's it's the statement should be it's important for you to work out your faith. It is very important for you to work out your faith because if you don't, then evil will be passed on to you, basically. Um, so, huh? No, you cannot. You can inherit evil things easy. <laughs> yeah. So what are what are good things that you you would say your parents passed on to you? Or your grandparents or great grandparents, if you were lucky enough to know them. So evil can be passed on, but you can, we can also get good things from our parents, and I think that's very important. And again, each person's different because uh, I've known people who were raised in a very similar situation as me that turned out completely opposite. Uh, and in their youth, they seemed like they would be, you know, a pastor. They would end up being a missionary. That was their dream was to be like a missionary. And, and for me, I'm like, you know, I'd be happy being a mechanic. I don't really, <laughs> you know, and, and they turned from the Lord. Um, and you could say that they, they were raised in a home where, you know, missions was encouraged. They were going to church every week. They knew the Bible better than their parents did. Um, and they still... Uh, ended up rebelling and that just goes to show that even human hearts no matter how good your circumstances if, if you're not working out your salvation if you're not working out your faith then your your, your spiritual muscle as it were will will weaken uh, right yeah discipleship discipleship and that that's so i can't i can't stress how important discipleship is because it would have been real easy for someone that that person had respected to step in when they were doing something wrong and just guide them and help them through it. Instead, when it was identified that there was a problem, 
by, by a friend, they stated, you're in the wrong for judging them, leave them alone. And that set them up for destruction. And so it's, it's important to have good role models, to have good people that can disciple you, that can help guide you. Jesus didn't say, hey, come follow me and then abandon them. You know, <laughs> He took them aside and, and brought them up and guided them, answered their questions, told them where they were wrong in their thought process. And nowadays it seems like it's taboo to tell someone they're wrong. And it's like, well, so we, we see where, where, where God can see what's happening. He can, he can see what's coming. He can see what's, what's going on in our, our very own hearts. Uh, even when we don't even realize it's there, he sees it and he calls it out. Um, what, what kind of things do you identify where God has a, a vision that kind of blows you away that, that has caught you off guard before where God has called you out or shown you something or revealed something or brought, brought something about that as far as you're concerned, it was bad timing at a certain time, but then later on you realized God knew what was happening. I feel like that's a, that's a comforting thing to know that God knows all things, sees all things, knows what's coming because we can face a situation that just sucks just face it, it rots in our life and we we notice it and it, it's it's hard but when we realize god's in control now it's a matter of sitting and well what is he going to do with this what's going to happen uh and, and it, it can give us a sense of contentment knowing that god is at work and we may not know what it's we may never know why but he does and he's in control there's comfort in that um and, and sometimes we get the see why. Uh, and, and then there's like extreme joy in that. And it's amazing. Um, but there are times where Christians can become desensitized to the fact that God can see all things and know all things. How, how is it possible that a Christian can become desensitized to those kind of things, to, to God's extent of his vision? Yeah, what stuck out to me when you said that was finite mind, and immediately when you like put the wall in front of your face and it's like, I don't see past this point, but God can. I think of just society today, just looking at their phones, nothing's going on around them in their little world. They're looking at their phones, and people are doing while they're driving, and they collide. Uh, they'll be walking like that. Somebody could be talking to them, and they're just clueless because they're just looking at their phones. They're, that's their world. And meanwhile, somebody else can be around seeing what's around them and be like, what's going on? pay attention, you know. Social media, we are so connected by it that now we have this saying that I think is really breaking, uh, breaking down even the church. And it's, it's woke. I hate that word with a passion. Like, oh, be woke, stay woke or whatever. I'm like, everyone is asleep. How can they be woken up at all? God's word will wake you, but no one wants to pay attention to it. And so this, this idea of um, basically staying politically correct and accepting every, everything uh, for good, unless it is good, in which case accept it as evil. And, and that's what the Bible, the Bible says that's what's going to happen. What is good will be considered evil, and what's evil will be considered good. And, and we're seeing that in, in society. We're seeing that eke its way in, and it's ugly. Um, and so we get distracted and we, we have a finite mind. We want satisfaction now. We want what we want now. 
the idea of a big picture uh, of an end time, you know, an after after we're gone and off this world, people don't want to think about that. They don't want to think about death. They don't want to think about um, the future. They want to think about now, what feels good now. And so we're distracted. And we see that in Scripture. We see that with 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 Israel. We want we want our freedom now. We want we want to live our lives like this, and 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 we see this downfall as they abandon uh, God and seek themselves. Um, uh, one thing that was said in here that can make a person cringe um, was the Lord was not willing to forgive, and it's like oh, and we we hear it all the time growing up in the church. Um, God will always forgive you. You can do whatever whatever you want. God will forgive you. But here we see an example in Scripture where God says he will not forgive this. And there's a punishment. Yeah, we, we, have, a, we have a patient, and we talked about this in Men's Breakfast. We have a God who is gracious, and with, with his grace there's patience. Um, but he's also perfectly just. Which, which means you have to be judged. There has to be a punishment, and, and that's where Christ came in. Right? Christ comes in, he saves us, he's paid that debt, he's justified us. It, it's taken care of. Um, but we also we have great authors in the Bible, like Paul, that says, hey, just because we're saved, does that mean just keep on sinning? Certainly not. You missed the point, <laughs> if that's what you think. You missed the point. Um and and that's but that's where man is. We're 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 a broken people, and and it takes Jesus to fix. Um, but it takes takes us to believe. It's such a simple thing. So I mean that that is just a few verses, guys. <laughs> we still got more. Um, is somebody willing to read Second Kings twenty four eight through seventeen? All right, now we got an even younger guy. <laughs> uh, and again, did did evil. He passed it on. Didn't learn his lesson. And, uh, and Nebuchadnezzar goes through, confiscates a lot of treasure, uh, even from the temple, and cut stuff into pieces. And, and it seems like sometimes the most effective way for God to punish someone has to do with finances. Uh, the, the loss of money, the loss of profits, the loss of jobs uh, sometimes is, is the way God finds to be a very effective way to get your attention. Why is that? Why, why is the loss of, of money and wealth um, so effective of a discipline? I feel I think of Job, really, because Job was really, really wealthy. He had a really good life, a really good position, really good health, really good family, and he was a good, good, good guy. And he wasn't being punished. He was being, I mean, really, he was just, just God bragging about him and proving a point. <laughs> and and he, he proved it. And, and even though all this wealth and all this stuff was taken away, he came out still having good character. He got a little reprimanded by God, a little slap on the back of the hand by God, being like, who do you think you are? Um, but he still remained faithful to God. Um, and it wasn't an effective tool to take away his wealth, to to cripple him in his faith. Well, that's the bottom line. It's the mindset. 
Where's your mind? Who, who's your provider? I'm my provider. Well, if I take your money away, all of a sudden your your mindset shifts. Now you're really angry, upset. You, there's what happened. You evaluate things. Uh, if if your focus is God and your relationship with God is the most important thing to you, um, and and your finances are taken away, uh, if, uh, then then you kind of look at it of what am I supposed to learn? It's that idea of understanding God's vision that He has a vision into the future. He understands who you are. He understands where you're going. He knows what you need, and he will provide that need, right? And and so we get an opportunity to sit and learn how to watch God work, to see how God's going to use this situation. Uh, and, and sometimes we can get caught up in our situation and and forget that God is moving and miss it. We can miss what's happening, um, simply because we're too distracted by our situation instead of focusing on God and, and, and how he can be working in this situation. How can I be used in this situation? I've seen some people where they, they went from the top to the bottom. They were really wealthy, had practically an empire, and then they lost it all and ended up homeless. And instead of griping about it, they, they learned the need of the homeless. And, and as they got finances, they took it to the homeless and shared it and, and blessed them with it. Um, it's a matter of, of perspective and a matter of, of how, how can God use you where you are? What is it you're supposed to be learning? Um, God doesn't do things for no reason. Um, there's a reason for what he does. And even if it's not something that he made happen, let's say, you know, because it rains on the just and the unjust, right? Um, bad things happen, good things happen to bad people and good people. Uh, God can use you in your disciple. And Mordecai did a great job discipling Esther. And she's like, well, what am I supposed to do? And his response was, how do you know God didn't put you in this position for this very occasion? God knows what's going on. God knows what's going on. And, and so it's it's amazing when you actually step back and look at what God is doing and of just stop looking at the distractions. Um, God will get you through it. And it's amazing when he does. That's, that's another thing. You've experienced it. That's Sometimes we don't even identify that. We went through something, and now we can help somebody else through that something, and we don't necessarily identify that. Because when you're going through something, you don't want to hear if If you just went broke and you're struggling financially, you don't want to have Bill Gates walk up to you and talk about how things are going to be okay. Uh, now, if Bill Gates lost everything and came up to you and said everything's going to be okay, well, now all of a sudden what he has to say is more relevant to you. Um, it, it's just kind of a matter of perspective. So it gives you an opportunity to, to be a witness where otherwise you couldn't have been. And it, it's it's God's opportunity to use you. And when you get used by God and identify that, there's joy. It's like God used my frailties, my failures, and justified it. It's, it's wonderful. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, he left some, some peoples behind. He left someone behind to rule. Why is that? Why would he do that? So pushing on to 2 Kings 24, 18 through 25, 7, if somebody would be willing to read that. That escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah, so they, they're just not learning their lesson. Rebel, punishment. Rebel, 
punishment, rebel, and the punishment gets harsher and harsher. Um, well, and that's the last thing he got to see. That's the last thing he got to see was his kids being slaughtered in front of him and then his eyes getting gouged out. And that's that's your final memory. That's your final memory. And you, and you, didn't, you don't get to die, you get to live with that. Yeah, that's rough. That's rough. Um, and I mean, and that seems like a very effective and gruesome punishment, you would think, uh, at least for that individual, um, for Zedekiah, especially. And then, and this is, this is God moving. This is God moving, uh, using Babylon as the punishing rod, uh, for Israel using Nebuchadnezzar specifically, um, uh, who's a smart guy? He's he's no fool. Um, he's he's not a a righteous man at this point. We know that, but God is still using him. Um, C.S. Lewis has a, a a quote, and we'll see how people respond to this. The door of hell, the doors of hell, are locked on the inside. Yeah, that once you're there, you're there. Once you're there, you're there. So simple. That's probably why it's so hard to accept. It's just so simple. Quarterly has a question. Despite the suffering in the world, how can you tell that God has evil on a leash? When you really think about that question, it's true. You identify it because, I mean, things are bad. But then you think about how bad they've been, but also how bad the Bible says it's going to be. And it... it there is that restraint, uh, and it, if, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but the Bible says that the church is that restraint. As long as we're here, we're, God is using the church to hold that back. And, and so once Christ comes, that leash, God just let it off. You know, here, there you go. And things aren't going to be so great for a little while. <laughs> um, but how can we identify that, it's, that the evil's not completely free to reign? The book of Job shows you that God's got him on a leash. I mean, like, oh, you won't let me touch him. Well, there you go. God's restraining. He's not allowing certain things to happen. And then when he lets him loose and ravishes his life. Um, and so, I mean, we could see that, that what full evil looks like just looking at the book of Job. And the calamity, you know, heck, that's still just a taste. That's just a physical aspect of evil taking work. Uh, you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, and we see a lot of evil there. We see uh, before the flood, the just just kind of snippets of what's being said. And people, I mean, yeah. He, and Ham turns into just really a not good man. Yeah. And uh, so, so really, there are only six. Even resetting in this world, we still screw it up. <laughs> and, and, but but that's, that's the deal. We can see this because we know what this says. Yeah. But the world looks at us and goes, there's, there's a book in here about how to get a job. No, oh, yeah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you've had a lot of fresh youth read the Bible or go through the books, you, you get a lot of job chapter one. No, that's not okay. That's yeah. That was another one. Psalms. Yeah. What do you what do you think went through the mind of the Judaites when they saw the smoke of Jerusalem billowing into the sky? 
you know, when I'm looking at this, I'm we're, we we can kind of get an understanding of this because we're watching it happen in Ukraine. We're watching it happen in Ukraine right now. They're they got a large force going in on them. They're putting up a heck of a fight, but now here we have a people that put their trust in God's commitment to His temple, and instead of the covenant that He had with the people, with Abraham specifically, um, with David, he he had covenants that he would not break, and and. And that's uh, that's the reason he didn't completely wipe them out, really. There's been several times in Scripture where he's like, I'm just going to wipe them out and start over with you. I'm going to wipe them out and start them over with you. And uh, I mean, he wanted to do that with Moses. And Moses is like, oh, don't do that. <laughs> Please don't do that. And, and, and God's like, all right, fine. You know? And they, they turned around and, and they look at the glory of the temple. Even in Jesus' time, they look at the glory of the, the temple. If 100% of them were against God, I think the punishment would be much harsher. Um, and some of them got carried away because that was stated, hey, this is going to be a problem. And we had, we had the prophet, uh, Jeremiah, that was saying, this is going to happen. Go with it. God will prosper you. Go with it. And the faithful went with it. <laughs> They're like, all right, we'll go with it. We're just going to trust that God's in control. We're just going to do this. And and God kept them. God kept them. Uh, I mean, can you imagine those who were still living in the land as, the, as this temple of the living God is just ravished and all the utensils just stripped right out of it. And these utensils, they were made for God, at God's command, by King Solomon, to be put in the temple to serve God. And and, and now they're just leaving. It's like, did God move? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm opening it up to Jeremiah 29. I'm going to read uh, 29, 4 through 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel... To all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, and multiply there and do not decrease." Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you to, into exile, and pray to the Lord on uh, on its pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel: Do not let your prophets, who are in your midst, and your uh, diviners. Uh, deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when seventy years have uh, been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good works, my sorry, my good word to you, uh, to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, 
and I come and eh, sorry, and you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Because you have said, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. For thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, and concerning all the people who dwell in the city, your brothers who did not go with you into exile, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am sending upon them the sword, famine, and pestilence. I will make them like split open figs that cannot be eaten due to rottenness. I will pursue them with the sword, with the famine, and with pestilence, and I will make them a terror to all the kingdoms of the earth, to be curse and horror and, and a hissing and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them. Because they have not listened to my word, declares the Lord, which I sent to them again and again by my servant the prophets. But you did not listen, declares the Lord. You, therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles, whom I have sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Kelahiah, and concerning Zedekiah, the son of Messiah, 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 I can't say that name, who are prophesying to you falsely in the name, uh, in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He will slay them before your eyes, because, uh, oh, sorry, because of them a curse will be used by all the exiles from Judah, who are in Babylon, saying, "May the Lord make you like Zedekiah, and like Ahab, when the king of Babylon roasted in the fire, because they have uh, acted." foolishly in Israel, and have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives, and have spoken words in my name falsely, which I did not command, command them. And I am he who knows, and am a witness, declares the Lord. So here we see him really telling them, they're already in exile at this point, because he's like, I'm talking to the people who are in exile. You're going to be there for a while, get comfortable. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, and, and you're going to be blessed. Just trust me. Keep keep getting married. Keep building homes. Keep making gardens. Keep keep working. Keep going, guys. You're going to be here for a while. Get comfortable. Uh, for those who, who, who didn't come here with you, um, doom. <laughs> Destruction. Uh, it's not looking good. Uh, and when we see the temple just battered down and blown down and exploding, they take the walls out, they take the temple out, they... they desolate the place completely um uh, they're doing god's work this is this is god's hand using babylon to teach a lesson god's like i don't need this building watch gone it's gone i don't need it <laughs> yeah there there's a lesson here that god wants him to learn and he's not hiding it from him he's being pretty forward he's like you guys have been obedient continue to be obedient and you will be blessed for those who are not obedient 
I have a punishment for them, and this is what it is. This is what's going to happen. And he's he's not hiding it from them. It's not like, here, you, you figure out what's happening here. No, he's like, you guys, get comfortable. You, you, you get to be comfortable. These guys, they're not going to be comfortable. We're gonna, they're going to be punished. Uh, and, and it was very clear. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time to be able to continue going with everything, but I do want to read Second uh, Chronicles 36, 5 through 23, because it wraps it up real nice, because it, 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 it does. <laughs> uh, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. This is kind of a recap. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against him and bound him with bronze chains and took him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also brought some of the articles of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his temple at Babylon. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and the abominations which he did and what was found against him, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel uh, and Judah." And Jehoiakim, Jehoiachim, his son, became king in his place. Jehoiachim was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned three months and ten days. A long, long time in yeah. Jerusalem. Yeah. Too long. Yeah. Jerusalem. And he, yeah, he's young. Uh, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. At uh, the turn of the year, King Nebuchadnezzar sent and brought him to Babylon uh, with the valuable articles of the house of the Lord and made his a kinsman, Zedekiah, king over Judah uh, and Jerusalem. Uh, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, his God. Uh, he did not humble himself before Jeremiah, the prophet, who spoke to the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him, made him swear allegiance by God, but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, God of Israel. Furthermore, all the uh, officials uh, of the priests and people were very unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they defiled the house of the Lord, which he had sanctified in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again, by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, until there was no remedy. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young men, or virgin, old man, or infirm. He gave them all into his hand, all the articles of the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his officers. He brought them all to Babylon. Uh, then they uh, burned the house of God and broke down the walls of Jerusalem and burned all its uh, fortified buildings with fire and destroyed all its valuable articles. Those who had escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, and they were uh, servants to him and to his sons until 
the rule of the kingdom of Persia to the to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths all the days of its uh, desolation it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete now in the first year of Cyrus king of Persia in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus king of Persia so that he sent proclamation through the kingdom and also put it in writing saying thus says Cyrus king of Persia the Lord the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may the Lord God, may, may the Lord his God be with him, and let him go up. And and God was faithful, and and God said, "Here's what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen," and it happened in the order in which He said it would happen. When He said it would happen, He didn't delay. He didn't put it off. It was exactly on schedule. I, I really am a fan of punctual, and God is very punctual. So.